This week on The Zone of Truth, Griff and I welcome on a couple folks from the D&D 5E actual play podcast, The Stubborn Heroes. We chat about 5E, homebrewing a story and setting, Griff's crossover, and of course, answer some listener questions. I'm your host, Steve, on a Zoom call with your GM and my co-host, Griffin. Roll a will save. You're in The Zone of Truth. We're back, baby. We're back with a good one today, I think. Oh, yeah. I'm excited. I'm, I'm calling. How often do we get to talk about fifth edition? We don't. Basically never. Basically never. Almost never do we get to. Yeah. But let it be known, I'm calling the shot now. This is going to be a good episode because we got some great guests. Absolutely. But before we get to them, what are you drinking, buddy? Oh, I knew you were going to ask it. So I am drinking a beer from Belt and Suspenders Brewing back home in Chicago. This is an IPA with grapefruit added. I actually don't see like a name on here of the beer itself. So unbranded. How All exciting right. is that? I mean, exciting or potentially harmful, whatever. Whatever floats your boat, man. It's pretty interesting. Um, we'll see later if it's harmful, but for now it's good. How about you? I am drinking a North High Honey Wheat. I think you left this at my house. So, oh yeah, thanks, bud. No, that's cool. I'll Venmo you after this. Uh, okay, yeah. request for like two dollars. I mean, I'm gonna I'm gonna charge you for the two weeks of running my refrigerator to keep it cold because it's been sitting uh, there. Oh yeah, I guess that's a fair point. That probably it, evens, it evens itself out. out. Yeah. Why don't you introduce our guests, man? Yeah, you know what? I think we should just get into it because we got so much to talk about. So you may know them from the hit 5e show, The Stubborn Heroes, where DM Adam takes his party through adventures in the rich homebrew world of Varian. They currently are in their second campaign set in Varian, far away from land in the mysterious Isles of Umbra. Welcome to the show, Adam and Parker. Hello. Hello. How are you? Hey, guys. <laughs> hey, Steve. Uh, hey, Griffin. <laughs> We're doing great, guys. Thank you so much for joining us here today. Oh, no problem at all. This Thanks is great. For having us. Thank you for having us here. Are you? Do you guys happen to be drinking anything? I would be remiss if I didn't ask. I am drinking uh, the greatest beverage on earth, H two O. Spoken like a true Canadian. <laughs> I like that. I am drinking a uh, pasteurized dairy beverage uh, with that's infused with vitamins A and D. I think it's D. Um, with a chocolate uh, cocoa liqueur that has been added. It's chocolate milk. <laughs> that's the fanciest chocolate milk I've ever heard. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Ab- absolutely. I kind of saw where you were going with that one. And I'll tell you what, I was here for it. That was great. That's how I'm describing be milk from now on. at the end of that, he said there was liquor in it. <laughs> <laughs> Woo! <laughs> no, uh, drink- drinking is just not something that uh, comes naturally to me, you know? So uh, I'm, I'm totally for it. I do drink once in a while, but I mean, it's just not something that I do casually. Uh, I'm quite boring in that way, unfortunately. To be fair, we're recording this on a Tuesday night. (laughs) (laughs) I know. I got a wife and kid. It's like, I I can't be drinking. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, there's no reason we are either, but 
It got you know it's five o'clock somewhere. So dude, no no judgment here. No judgment. <laughs> well, I certainly appreciate that. Really glad to have you guys on. Super excited. This has been a long time coming, but I don't know that all of our friends are quite familiar with you folks. So do you two just want to introduce yourselves and just talk a little bit about the show before we hop into the meat of this this episode tonight? Absolutely, yeah. So uh, my name is Adam. I am the Dungeon Master, which, you know, comes... It's a little bit different. I assume, Griffin, you like to call yourself a Game Master? Absolutely. Okay, yeah. Maybe. For legal reasons. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so Dungeon Master is just the title that I've always gone with. Uh, so, yeah, the Stubborn Hero started back in 2016. Uh, it was a group of five of us. We all worked a, a job where we traveled. We stayed in a lot of hotel rooms, lots of shenanigans. And you know what? One day at break time, I just said, hey, guys, what if we tried to play Dungeons and Dragons? I hadn't played since uh, 3.5 in high school. And we all got together that night and we started playing and we all loved it. I learned how to play 5th edition entirely academically. I just got the dungeon master guide and i i just uh, read the thing from cover to cover and that's that's how i learned to become a dm from there we just we we played one campaign together completely offline no podcast then campaign two was coming around i was listening to a lot of different podcasts and there's a lot of uh you know questionably uh not very good D podcasts out there back in the day <laughs> They were, you know, and I would always listen to them. And I have a background in broadcasting and film. And I I was just like, you know what? I I could do better. Like, like I kept on trying to find this uh, podcast that might appeal to me and all the things that I like. I wanted to be cinematic. I wanted it to be, uh, I want to have a good story. I wanted good characters, good character development. And I was like, you know what? I'll just do it myself. So that's what we did. We started recording, and uh, the rest is history. Absolutely love it. That's that's awesome. Just looking out at the world and saying, I can do that, and I can do it better than most people out there. Well, you guys are crushing it. I listen to the show. It's good times. I know Griff has as well. He loves it. So, uh, I'm on I it, mean, so. mission, mission, mission achieved. <laughs> Griffin, I think you've mentioned that you listened to our Halloween special, which, by the way... I did, yeah. I really enjoyed that. I, I like the one-shots you guys have done for Halloween, particularly. I listened back. Uh, just a good time. And and when you were telling me how it tied in, I really enjoyed that tidbit, too, because I wasn't there yet when uh, yeah. I listened to the Halloween episode first. I might have spoiled myself, but... <laughs> Yeah, no, with uh, the Halloween specials have to be some of my absolute favorite ones. And I know you said the word one shot, but just the way that I run my games, I don't really do one shots in the way that other people might do, where it's like one bubble story doesn't affect anything else. Whenever we do one shots, they're always canon with everything else that's going on. And... If I can, like we, for instance, the one that you listened to, I believe, was the our alien, uh, our alien episode, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah so Halloween this year, we did sci-fi, we did Alien. If, if I can just interrupt for a second, do you mean like a a riff on like the the Alien story or the Alien RPG that's out here? I'm just curious because I I need to listen to this because I love Alien. <laughs> it is a riff on Ridley Scott's uh, classic Alien. 
it even takes place within the same universe. It's a it's a it's a crew that's headed on uh, what we called the U uh, the um, subs the ship was called the Stubstromo, and they were headed into deep space on a mission. They had just picked up a mysterious cargo. I'm sure you can guess what it is. And disaster strikes. So we kind of throw out the rules in a lot of way. Whenever we do our Halloween specials, I always tell the guys, your health doesn't matter. You can try to use your spells. But in the end, it's going to come down to rolls, and one roll can mean life or death. It's my time to unwind and just see how much carnage I can truly bring to the game. So. Yeah, I'm talking too much. I got to introduce my uh, our, <laughs> our our other friend here, uh, Parker, who I didn't even mention. You weren't even there from the beginning, Parker, were you? I was not. So uh, I joined the Stubborn Heroes uh, about 80 episodes into their first campaign. Um, I had recently started working with the rest of them, and... I heard they were playing Dungeons and Dragons. I knew nothing about it at the time. And I decided I would give it a shot. And Adam was gracious enough to give me a a guest spot on it. And sure enough, the first episode I did was hilarious and uh, so much fun. And so uh, we kind of had created a character for me that was... uh, it was possible to keep coming back on in a recurring role and i just didn't leave the podcast i just kind of <laughs> i came on thanks for the guest spot i'm staying yeah exactly <laughs> I, I knew after the first time I'm like oh he's staying he's, yeah. not, he's not going anywhere and i kept on saying to him i'm like you can come back anytime you want to come back you want to come back and then he ended up he's coming like back. uh how does next week sound <laughs> <laughs> and so yeah i just i stayed on and Uh, My role grew as time went on, and sure enough, here I am still. (laughs) And uh, yeah, from then, uh, from being a player, uh, once I kind of got the hang of that, I even started my own kind of campaign with a bunch of friends, and I'm a DM now, and D&D has just taken over my life, and I can't escape. You love to see your players grow up. Become DMs of their own. Oh yeah, beautiful feeling. I'm, I'm currently going through that metamorphosis myself. Finally yes, started he's GMing DMing on his first in, one shot in yeah. our lingo. But yeah, I just oh, did my or first not one shot module, little module thing. Yeah. Yeah. Oh wow, so, really? Yeah, very exciting, very exciting. Um, and I'm actually having a great time. So um, thought maybe I'd hate it, but I don't, which is nice. Well, it's it's always nice to see a player become a DM or a DM finally get to be a player. Those are the two, no matter what uh, a system you're using, Pathfinder, D&D, I think we can all agree on that. It's always a beautiful thing for, and that, that's what Parker did. In fact, Parker, you are now DMing your own campaign as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And I think the two complement each other. Um, you need to know what one is like to truly be good at the other. Um, I think players can learn a lot from uh, DMing or GMing, and uh, GMs need to know what it's like to be a player, what players want, what they respond to, um, in order to be a good DM. Yeah, as a, as a game master, I had a lot of runway. I got like 
a year and a half into a campaign as a player, started a campaign as a game master, have gotten to come back as a player. So, like we we run so many campaigns now. I, I feel you on the it's your life after a certain point. I think we play like three nights a week on average. And it's really nice to be able to be in both spots because that vantage point change, it, you need a dose of your own medicine. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think, especially as a game master, a dungeon master, you need a dose of your own medicine a, a couple times in order to remember that you, uh, you maybe don't have to be a dick all the time. I'm sure it's nice to take a step back too and just uh, play something, especially just like if it's a one shot or a module or something, if you're a GM or DM going into a player's perspective, uh, just to like kind of put your feet up a little bit and have fun with it instead of stressing over every encounter and balancing like 12 enemies and environmental nonsense and stuff. Yeah, I'm sure. It's nice. Oh, yeah, it's great. Um, you know, yeah. So that's how, you know, the stubborn heroes came to be. I mean, we we uh, it became bigger than I expected. We got a very dedicated fan base rather quickly, and it's only been growing since. And, and, and to be honest, for me, it was always more of a, a creative outlet actually for my own mental health because I was dealing with a lot of bouts of uh, insomnia uh, some a lot of anxiety and uh, and and I found I and I swear to you like I was having I had bad insomnia for as long as I could remember I have not had bad insomnia since 2016 since we started the podcast it eliminated that for me having this Adam, cr- that's creative outlet that blows my mind because if anything i would think you'd be stressing more no i mean because instead of going to bed at night and thinking okay this bill's due okay i gotta do this tomorrow here's a list of what i need to get done and i'm just up all night i'm thinking about an encounter i'm going to throw the guys into to try to murder them in the most painful way possible, and, or I'm thinking makes you sleep like a and baby. It makes me sleep like a. I, I fall asleep, and I, and I like. There's meanwhile, no... the rest of us are are kept up, uh, terrified of what <laughs> yeah. encounter he's going to throw at so us. Maybe I gave my insomnia bouts of insomnia to my players. I'm not sure, but I mean, yeah, that's that's really uh, therapeutically. That's how I know I'm not going to stop doing with this. It was more of a hobby at first. It's kind of become a bit of a second job now, for sure. Especially now that we've opened up the business uh, side of it. But it's not something I'm going to stop. I love every second of it. I love every second of editing. Um, I don't know if you feel that way, Griffin. But, like, I really enjoy the editing. Depends on the day. (laughs) I hear you. (laughs) I mean, one one thing I love about your show is the love and care you guys put into post- because the the music choices and the sound effects and that kind of thing uh, really elevate the show. I mean, even from episode one, I was really impressed by that aspect of it. So, you know, you Thank can definitely you. tell that you guys put a lot of care into the editing process, which, you know, I think that's part of loving it, right? Is 
like, oh, I, I have this library of music or, oh, I have, you know, Parker composing stuff for me yeah. or whatever. It's like I can get the, yeah. you know, I can get the perfect thing and I can get it to drop perfectly. Like, that's really satisfying. Yeah. Par- Parker is, as David says, the music man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. he, he, he makes uh, uh, beautiful ballads. I sent some of them to Griffin. You heard them. I mean, his, yeah. he, I, I, that, that itself is a blessing because there's been times where, you know, at, at first it was me asking him to make music when he wasn't like a full timer on the show. So he'd have to kind of guess. But then once he's actually in the scenes, I'd be like, you have to do some music for that death scene when Amon, you know, when Belrin just used the uh, the heart of Hadar and killed Amon. And then and then he's like, oh, I know exactly what to do. And he just he, he makes it up. So it's, it's way better that he's there and playing. And um and and yeah, I mean, it's uh, the editing process. I definitely do put a lot of time in. I do, but I I love it, and I and I and I love creating. I'm a really cinematic person, but I find such beauty in the fact that it's cinematic without any visuals. And yet, right. if I can oh, yeah. create a cinematic experience with just audio, then. That in that in itself is just so interesting to me, and that's something I'll again that I'll never stop wanting to do either. So, um, and uh, and yeah, so we 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 continued with that, and that's how the Stubborn Heroes was born. And we're still changing, we're still evolving. We're into campaign two now, which is where I recommend if anybody's listening to write this. Uh, let me plug. Uh, right now go to uh, stubbornheroes.com and uh, you know listen to campaign two episode one i beg of you don't start campaign one episode one i beg of you okay that's hilarious uh and the reason i ask that is because and i'm sure griffin you could probably answer why would i not want them to listen to the first campaign episode one <laughs> let's just say Season two, episode one is a very good jumping off point. Yes, I believe it. Yes, there. exactly. It's it's um, we we didn't have the the equipment we have now because we've been blessed to have such amazing patrons who have, you know, blessed us with this amazing equipment. We literally, when we started, were recording on an iPhone that was hung on like this makeshift thing, and like we were in a hotel room with blankets, just trying to hold in the audio. Uh, we've come a long way since then, but we want to go way further. That's for sure. Yeah, yeah. It's nice to. It's really nice to be able to put, you know, the learnings of a hundred some episodes into the intro to a new campaign. Like you can definitely tell the amount of polish on the new one. It's like, okay. Yeah. If I want to hook somebody on this series, that's where you, that's where you set them up. Yeah. Uh, But we're, we're kind of feeling that too with launching a second show soon is, is like, we've learned a lot in two and a half years. I'm excited to kind of flex on that like episode one of the new thing. Because you know what? We put our heart, and our souls into these things. Like I put my bloods, I put everything I am into this show. I really do. And I put it out there and it's just amazing when I hear feedback like that. It means a lot to me, Griffin, actually, that you were just saying that you uh, enjoyed and that you noticed the uh, cinematic uh, side of it. That means a lot to me. Thank you. Oh yeah. No problem. Man. Yeah, I always love, I wouldn't say it if I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
All right, folks. Well, let's just jump into the meat of this thing because, Adam, you've kind of already alluded to it. I want to talk about, you know, first the beginning and then what you what you guys are producing now, what's going on in your world. I just want to kick it off with a, with a pretty simple question. You're brand new GM coming into this. You got brand new players reading the material, you know, reading the, the handbooks and then just letting her rip. Why not start with something straight out of the book, like a Curse of Strahd or a Storm King's Thunder or something? Because I never enjoyed my previous experiences playing somebody else's work. I, I It feels wrong to me as... To, to, to play something that I didn't entirely craft myself. It feels almost like plagiarism to me, in a way. And in no way am I bashing anybody that wants to follow the modules of either D&D or Pathfinder. If, if that is works for you, that's fine. I simply mean personally... I, I just... It doesn't feel right. I, I've always been a... A, a storyteller, a, a somebody who wants to uh, tell my own sort of tales of whimsical fantasy. And so, so I mean, the moment that we decided we were going to start playing, a million things came into my head. I just thought about the world. I thought about the universe. I thought about the history. I thought about this character, this character, this character. And I was like, there's no way I can go do anybody else's thing. I want to do this myself. And yeah, so I mean, that that's that, that's kind of where I'm at with that. To chime in there, running my own campaign, I felt the exact same way. But that's not to say that you can't unabashedly steal all the content you can from all of those modules. Mm -hmm. Uh, Whatever that quote is, uh, good artists borrow, great artists steal. Like, I'm a book nerd, so I have all of the modules. I have every 5e book in existence, just because I love reading through them, looking at the artwork put into them, uh, looking at the different... Uh, settings, the different items, the different environmental effects, all of these, these, all this content that they're giving out and just rework it and think, how can I use that in my campaign? And it's the same thing with uh, television, with books, with movies. You see the new Star Wars movie, you see something cool in that, use it. Take it, rework it into your own campaign. That's why art exists. I mean, yeah. In, inspiration comes from absolutely everything that we we ingest in media, and the he he hit the nail on the head. I mean, in campaign one, at one point on our show, the guys traveled through a portal and ended up in Times Square, New York City, where they met Vin Diesel and went to see Cats on Broadway. Okay. So I mean, okay. there's it's you're checking a lot of my boxes. <laughs> to come back into get this campaign one. I'm back it's, in. <laughs> it's uh, so so. I mean, that is the sort of crazy shit that I live for. I mean, if we can make something like that work, but continuity is so important to me too. You know, like if a character sounded one way before they have to sound that way again if 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 i used a certain musical cue with a character at one point i have to use that musical cue again um and i i i, I like to tell these big 
uh, sprawling stories with tons of little threads, and I like to tie up those loose ends. It's one of the most satisfying things as a DM is to just tie up all of those loose ends. Um, you got to plant the seeds and then you got to harvest, baby. Exactly. And I, I planted so many seeds in campaign one and with campaign two, we wanted this fresh start. So we, they, the guys campaign one takes place. Can I, do you want me to talk about the, the campaign in general now? Like the yeah. specifics yeah, let's, let's of it? Let's do that. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, campaign one takes place in the realm of uh, uh, Varian. When I started it, it was like, okay, all of campaign one is going to be focused on world building. We're going to build this world together. So let's start with one small little town. We started with the town. I called it Preston. The guys went there. And then we elaborated, and I figured out what that entire continent was. And then by the end of the campaign, we had four or five different continents with tons of different cities the guys had visited, a big sprawling epic story, and a whole history that slowly developed over time that I didn't have 100% from the beginning. There definitely was a lot of things that I did, but I sort of, you know, I weaved back and forth. It was It's a completely different thing than from the beginning. So then campaign one ended, and I'm like, okay, I've made the world. Now I want to tell a smaller story. I want to tell a more character-driven story. Because the first one, like I said, they went out to New York City and, you know, went to Cats. Um, there's those sort of adventures were happening all the time. It almost felt like, uh, you, you know, that anything could happen and that it was really it was more about like the big crazy things that are happening than the characters themselves i didn't want that to happen again with campaign two so campaign two takes place within the isles of umbra which i hinted at in campaign one a lot and it's a it's a it's a continent that has been uh, kept away from the rest of the realm for thousands of years, as it was protected by a my- mystical uh, uh, fog that was created by the gods. And twenty years ago, this fog disappeared. Now people have no- been known to talk about this place like it's uh, legendary, it's mythic, like is it real, isn't it real? So now suddenly the entire realm of Varian is coming into this place that has been known as myth, hasn't been touched in 5,000 years, and its people have had their own history. So I almost got to create a whole new world that was completely unaffected by any of the events in the first campaign. And uh, you know, and we really focused and honed in on the characters and their backgrounds. For instance, Parker, you want to let them know who you play in the show? Sure. I play a dragonborn sorcerer named Tyrannus. And Tyrannus was a very simple dragonborn. He lived in a lighthouse his whole life uh, with his um, adoptive father. And uh, me and Adam spent a lot of time working on that backstory and all the small details of it. And he's kind of swept up with these other adventurers and just kind of forced into this role. And he's very reluctant, uh, actually. And he's, he's very uh, dedicated to his god. And he's kind of just following what he believes his god to be telling him. And so I, it gives me a chance to just kind of focus on that aspect of this character and explore that and, you know, what would he do? What is he willing to do for his god? And 
what's his relationship with these other characters who have these completely different lives than he's led. You know, he's a very isolated, solitary person. We have a very diverse cast when it comes to the characters. I was just about to say, Parker, you play a very good straight man to the rest of your party. And I think that's something Steve can commiserate. <laughs> with you about that yep. you you're both your characters are kind of like the the straight man in a group that is very diverse but in some ways very out there it almost seems like you're uh especially playing with you that you've been like kind of the ground and kind of the the also the compass in terms of like hey we actually need to go do this and i just wanted to say you play that role very well i appreciate that but also it is a 180 degree turn from my previous character in campaign one <laughs> who had at one point multiple personality disorder. So I got to unleash every voice that I have within me <laughs> um, from the multiverse. And uh, so, yeah. Precursor to DMing. Exactly. Exactly. It was good <laughs> practice. Yeah. So I got a couple questions here. One is the character Tyrannus cast as Christopher Lee because Tyrannus is everybody knows Count Dooku's Sith name in Episode Two. <laughs> uh, I neither confirm nor deny that. All right, good to know. I'm actually going to kick it to a listener question here. I'm going to pepper a couple of these in here because a lot of our listeners were super excited to hear uh, from you folks. And had so many questions about homebrewing and world building and 5e in general. So this one comes from a listener on our Discord called Thomas. In creating a homebrew setting, how much of the world building is coming from the players? What is set in advance versus created on the spot? So I specifically asked this, Parker, because you mentioned how Tyrannus it adheres to a particular god. And being in a homebrew setting... Are are those gods, Adam? Are those are those gods that that you make up that you borrow from D and D lore? How much of that is coming from Parker? Does Parker say, "I want to worship a god of love, and I think her name should be whatever"? Mm. Um, just curious. Uh, I, th I think it's uh, it's okay. So when it comes to the gods in the world, I definitely take a lot from the source uh, material. Um, Basically what Parker was saying earlier about how he takes inspiration from all of these other modules and stuff, you know, just elaborating on that, I, I, I do the same. I mean, the lore is extremely uh, Forgotten Realms. I have a lot of the same deities. The Raven Queen exists, Asmodeus exists, Bahamut or Bahamut, however you want to say it, exists. But... The background is different. In my lore, Asmodeus and Bahamut were actually uh, twin brothers born from the god Teth uh, when he died. And one was, and that Asmodeus was in, you know, in, in, well, you may not know because you play Pathfinder. I don't know how similar this oh, is he's to there. Pathfinder. Oh, yeah. Okay. But uh, Asmodeus in D&D lore, I always love the fact they say he's like a god, but they can't tell if he's a god. Well, I, I've given him... A, a background that I think is quite respectable that at one point he was a god he was the god of love and passion and uh, he came from Gehenna and what happened was 
in the lore of the world, he was eventually betrayed in my my lore. He was eventually betrayed by the other gods, and uh, for uh, the other gods had to fight against him because he betrayed them. And there's conflicting stories there, but the truth is, whatever happened was he was cast out, and when he fell to his world, it shattered into nine pieces into the nine realms of the nine hells. And that's the lore for Asmodeus in my world, while the truth being, and then, you know, I sort of put the truth somewhere in between. Me as a DM, I know the world is conflicted on what actually happened. In my world, I know Asmodeus fell in love with Celeste, who is a goddess that um, I made. I didn't make the name, but she's the goddess of angels. Celeste, who is Bahamut's uh, mate, Asmodeus fell in love with her, had a child with her. Celeste saw the child was going to be evil, and Asmodeus stopped her from killing him, killing the child. And the other gods banished him for that. I like to play on this idea that good and evil are really... It's not so black and white. I, I, I firmly believe in, in my lore and my world building that a good person is capable of horrifyingly evil acts in the name of good. And that evil characters are entirely capable of acts of compassion and love. So so in my world's lore, like I, I take a bit of you know what's out there and I sort of put my own mix on it and I put my own spin on it. Um and if you are world building, like I said before, start with one town. Start with one town. A lot of people get overwhelmed. Just start with one town. What's the history of that town? Why does it exist? Is it a fishing village? What are they famous for? What religion do they go by? What's the bartender's name? And then just work from there, because that's how I did it. I love that suggestion. That's so awesome. I'm, I'm sorry, and you might have mentioned this, or you might have answered this question earlier, but is that how you came up with the world of Varian, that you started from a spot and built out, or mm-hmm. you had... Okay, cool. Yeah, yeah. So I That's started awesome. with that town of Preston, and then I created mm-hmm. the uh, continent of Ettenvale, and I even put my own little jokes in there, too. I called the co- the elven continent Ettenvale, because in my world, the elves forgot the name of their land when they moved into the realm, because they used uh, some fey magic that caused them to forget the name of their own home. So humans called it Ettenvale, which if you look up the Etten, this is how stupid I am, I think about this stuff. If you look up the Etten in D&D lore, it'll say a little quote that says that it means uh, big and ugly uh, in mm-hmm. ancient human nomadic language. So humans saw it and called it Ettenvale. They meant big, ugly, green thing. And then the elves were like, oh, I guess our place is called Ettenvale, and they've been calling it that since. (laughs) So the elves, unknown to them, have been calling their entire continent that they live on Big Ugly Green Thing. That's... That's, that's really good. <laughs> and if you can add in things like that, that's the sort of stuff that keeps me going. It's just the stupid little things that no one's ever going to care about unless they look deep into my lore. But yeah, you just start with one town and build out and do the then, you know, do the next town, then move out to the continent. You don't need to know, you know, like I said, that a I didn't know from the beginning I was going to make Asmodeus try to stop his child from being killed, and that's why he was banished. I didn't have any of that when I started. 
that all came way later way later mm-hmm. um start with that and then just start with one town and start with your characters like tyrannus uh, worships a, a god that i made entirely myself uh named the tempest and the tempest is the god of storms and uh there's he's a mysterious god and there's a lot of religious dogma for and against the tempest which actually you're just discovering right now aren't you parker i don't want to spoil too much well (laughs) when i came up with the idea for tyrannus um i told adam i i want him to worship uh a god and i i just said a god and so Adam and I, or Adam suggested, okay, how about a god of lightning and thunder? And then we kind of went back and forth on it. Okay, what would this god be like? You know, I want Tyrannus to be this way, so perhaps his god reflects that. And so there was a little bit of a collaborative process there, um, even in creating uh, the Tempest. And from there, I've just been exploring, you know, kind of the ideas that we put in place uh, from the very beginning. And as a DM, the other side that he doesn't see is while I'm having that conversation with him, I'm also speaking with Billy about his character. And I'm speaking with David about Bonnie and her background. And I'm like bouncing back and forth between them going, ooh, this will work because... this guy will discover that he's actually connected to this thing and she'll discover that he's actually connected to this. And, you know, as a DM, I love being in that scape. It's like, it's like you're in the matrix, man. Spider weaves his web. (laughs) All, you know, all the zeros and ones I'm reading it all. And I love it. (laughs) Yeah, that's, that's, that's incredible. I, I, I love, thinking about sitting behind the chair and having the conversation with Parker. Ooh, you're going to worship this Storm King or whatever. And then maybe a conversation is happening on the side with, with David or whomever that's, ooh, your, uh, your parents were killed during a storm. And then when they come together later, it could be 50 episodes in the future. Um, there could be a little tension there because, ooh, did the Tempest uh, you know have some hand in this other thing? So just... You Stop reading my mind. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I promise I have not listened to enough of the show for that to be a spoiler. I was making that all up. Uh, <laughs> but so, uh, Adam, I got another question for you. So if you were to just kind of generally characterize your world, how, how would you describe it? Is it an analog to Earth? Is it an analog to one specific region of Earth? Do you have a region for each different continent? Just to give some folks a little bit of a of an idea of of what you're envisioning for the world. I want to try to represent in a respectful way as many different cultures as possible. And including like for instance in in my world not only did I because it's not enough for me to introduce just a whole new continent with my second campaign I actually also introduced another continent that one of our characters unfortunately Griffin you didn't get to meet Ray uh, and the character of Rasu on uh, and Ray um, with his cultural background um, we wanted to really put some Chinese lore into my world so I created the with Ray together we created the empire of Xing which is uh, or the Xing dynasty as it's known as which is basically um, it's basically 
China. I mean, we, we, we took all the mythos and all the legends of Chinese lore, and we've, we've created a whole pantheon of gods there. There's stories and, and uh, uh, different um, cities. There's even a great wall called the uh, Eternal Wall there. And we visit it in his origin story. And I try to be as absolutely respectful as possible in that. So, um, and I, and it's not just that I also right now am currently working on another continent. I don't have the name right now, but I want it to be based on, uh, Egyptian lore. And I want it to, uh, sort of encompass the Egyptian gods as well. Um, so, I mean, I'm always, it's, I, I'm a, the world, the realm of Varian is a real mish, mishmash. Is that am I saying that right? Mishmash. 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 Thank you. It's a real mishmash, and, and this, this is a real melting, uh, melting pot of just a lot of different things. And yeah, so I mean, I, I it's an amalgamation of of all these different uh, sort of cultures and their worlds and stuff, and and uh, and and I basically just separate them by geography. That's what I do. Sure enough here. So when you're coming up with this stuff, I'm going to kick it to another listener question here, or at least part of one. Um, this comes from a user called Trafalgar. What books, movies, or settings inspire you in your world building? So you just mentioned, hey, let's make a China analog continent. When you're doing something like that, is was there any media that inspired that? Or do you have any notable media inspirations for other parts of your world? Definitely. I mean, I'm, I'm very influenced by books and video games and, uh, and, and, uh, different movies that I've watched before. I get a lot of inspiration from, uh, World of Warcraft, which I have, uh, played my, uh, entire life. If, if my character were a child, he'd be in high school. Uh, that's how long I've played, uh, World of Warcraft for. <laughs> Um, but well done. although it's Japanese lore, uh, Ray and I, when we were making, uh, it were playing ghosts of Tsushima and the character of Rasuan, although not a samurai, we had this conversation about just like the warrior spirit and how that pretty much, um, translates from, it translates very well between, uh, ghosts of Tsushima to, uh, Chinese mythos. So, uh, Ghost of Tsushima uh, was a huge inspiration for me and Ray when we were developing the character of Rasuan. Although he is not a samurai and he is, it's not Japanese lore. I just want to say that because there is a there is a big difference. But um, I'm also inspired. Gosh, uh. Let me get back to that because I'm, I'm trying to think of all the, the there's so many different things that uh, inspire me. Uh, but for some reason, I'm blanking on some of the names of the Well, show. hey, man, that's cool. <laughs> how, about, how about we kick it to Parker then? Yeah. Um, what You've played a couple characters on the show now. Is Do you have any specific media um, inspirations that you have for any of your folks? Um, I was about to say uh, this isn't character based, but as a DM myself, uh, I often get inspiration from sci-fi, uh, which is a whole different like universe than fantasy per se. But I've always uh, there's a there's a quote by a famous author, and I can't cite it exactly, but it's something like uh, any sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic, 
um, just to say, if something is far enough in the future, it's incomprehensible to us. And so oftentimes when we're watching sci-fi or when we're reading sci-fi, there'll be some cool bit of technology that is just like, oh, that is so cool. I want to steal that. And so you just really all you have to do is transfer it into the realm of magic and it fits perfectly. Like it's almost a flawless transition. So I steal so many different uh, things from sci-fi movies and sci-fi shows and just make them magical artifacts in my own world. Um, and I know Adam does the same. We both have a love for sci-fi. Um, and even, uh, it doesn't even have to be sci-fi. It could be superhero uh, movies, superhero shows. Just take a superpower, put it into an item. Boom. There you go. <laughs> now I feel so stupid. I really, I really like yeah. the, the, the way you guys homebrew items as well, because coming from Pathfinder, where magic items are like necessary to your build in some respects, and so everybody takes certain magic items and they're prevalent in the world. I know that 5e is much more limited in terms of magic items, and so it's been really cool. I mean, even just working with Adam on the items for my character that I played. Uh, you know, for a couple of episodes, you guys put a lot of thought into the homebrew of these magic items. So seeing that it's, you know, sci-fi based or in a lot of respects, like super thematic is really cool. You guys bring these items that almost always seem like if this is a magic item, it's almost like an artifact for, for folks in the way that it uh, is either highly tailored to that character or is something that is just beyond what a normal item would do. So you, you said you have sci-fi influences, but how do you, how do you kind of, how do you build that into a functional thing? Well, look at, um, if anyone's familiar with Critical Role, uh, Matt Mercer recently came out with his own uh, source book where he introduces a new uh, class, which is based around the exploitation of gravity um, where would that class be without, you know, say, movies like Interstellar or 2001 A Space Odyssey? Like, clearly he is influenced by sci-fi and the bending of time and space by relativity. And so it doesn't even have to be a specific object. It can be a whole class that you base around a concept like bending time. When you approach the mechanics around it, though, are you trying to find an analog in 5e rules that most fits, or are you completely bending the rules then and saying, okay, well, this item just does this thing? Well, it's always a good idea to... Uh, I know I do this all the time. I'm constantly looking through uh, the stat blocks of monsters, or I'm looking through lists of items um, even things that are similar and say, okay, how did they design that item? And can I make a copy of that and then just slowly tweak it in order to make it balanced? Because you don't want to throw in an item that just, this is the atomic bomb that I just gave to my characters. <laughs> and, and, and I think that's where D&D &D Beyond has really changed the game in that way, because it really is this like, 
crowdsource of just this this hive mind almost you can get opinions from anybody you can you can make any item you want you upload it and anybody can download it and try it out and let you know what they think about it and oh so you almost get like beta testers exactly and, and, and really or cool. you know like like parker said um you know i recently made an item for for thanthwi michael's character he's a he plays a a tortle cleric and he's decided he doesn't want to be a life cleric anymore he wants to go into necromancy uh and become a necromancy wizard okay. yeah it's a big change whatever <laughs> so i created an item for him uh, and basically what I did was I, I knew what item I wanted. So I looked on D&D Beyond and I found an item that somebody had made. And it was like uh, the staff of, uh, of infestation or something like that. And it, and it had these powerful cast insect swarm five times, stuff like that. And it was just too powerful. So I took that item. I took the information on it and I dumbed it down. And I made it much, much weaker and I called it the, uh, so he could cast in- infestation insect swarm like once. Uh, it had very few charges and I called it the uh, staff of rotten decay. And, you know, so, so I mean, I've done exactly what Parker said. Oh, by the way, I have answers to that question earlier because I thought about them once he said sci fi. Of course, the Mass Effect series has been a huge influence oh. on me. I, it was hey, my, man, are you, are you getting the remasters when they come out? Obviously, yes. Hell yeah. Come on. I'm, so good. I'm Paragon Shepherd all the way. Um, mm. And, uh, you know, obviously, the Dragon Age series, BioWare was top of their game back then. Um, there was uh, Kingdoms of uh, Amu- uh, Amalar, which I really, really enjoyed. Gave me the inspiration for Campaign 1. Everybody was called the Unfated Ones because they have uh, Fate Weavers in there, which I always thought was so interesting. And obviously, like Parker said, sci-fi, sci-fi, yes, sci-fi inspires everything that I do. I mean, I, I, I eldritch horrors, the idea of of beings out there with, with minds that are... And, and, and motivations that are so alien and far beyond our own is a huge theme in my in my show and a huge theme in my lore. And I'm always inspired by that. All that HB Lovecraft stuff, it is it is the bee's knees. It is uh it is a huge inspiration to me. But mostly like I'll sit around and I will just listen to cinematic music from video games, TV shows, the Mass Effect music. I could listen to it, and sometimes I come up with an entire quest start to finish just being inspired by one song. And I just imagine the whole quest, how it's going to go, the monsters I'm going to put into it. Music is a huge inspiration to me as well. Mm -hmm. So that's where I get a lot of my ideas from. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, same here. I'm a a big music fan. Um, Probably not quite as talented in, in music as our friend Parker here. No, um, nobody is. He's the music who, man. <laughs> I swear I, to God. <laughs> as a joke, um, Dave, one of the players, called me the music master or something like that. And it just stuck after a while. I don't think most of the guys have heard me play piano at all. They have no idea. They're just teasing me with it. But They I just show up and play. Also. Yeah. <laughs> That's great. Um, all right, folks. Well, I, you know, I, I really have been enjoying the conversation about how homebrew impacts the world and how you guys come up with what you do come up, uh, come up with. Let's, there's still a few things that I want to chat about, though. So um, I know we've 
bounced around the stories and settings of campaigns one and two that are available on your feed right now. But can one of you guys give me just like a one to two minute quick, you know, pitch on spoiler free pitch on what's going on? What are the hooks for these stories? What's going to get somebody excited about listening? New York cats. Campaign one. So, so we can skip (laughs) campaign one because we know. (laughs) Sorry. I pitched it for you guys. Hope you don't mind tuning in for it. (laughs) Uh, But yeah, go for it. Parker. Do you want to, do you want to try? Uh, campaign two, campaign two. What what are the big hooks? And then I'll 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 go after if uh, oh, if, I, if I feel like there's anything you missed. <laughs> um. Okay. So, uh, a group of very mismatched uh, characters find themselves in a tavern. A classic uh, starting to a campaign. We all meet in a tavern, and through uh, a bunch of shenanigans, we end up sticking together and just you know one job leads to another oh we need to make some money we all stick together do the job hey that worked pretty well let's keep working together and then sure enough you know certain undertones certain plots seem to arise and we've followed some of these plots and ditched some others and we're learning more about the this this continent, this isle, the Isles of Umbra, and the powers, uh, political powers at work, and some of us have motives to seek out uh, interesting characters um, that are uh, scattered across the Isles. Tyrannus has a, a uh, rival of sorts that he is searching for, and Ben has a, a feud with another person and Bonnie, who knows what Bonnie's doing. Thantui just wants to collect some playing cards. It's it's a whole, there's so many motives at work. And so it's constantly, uh, okay, where should we go next? And everyone's pointing in different directions. And we need to resolve these conflicts. But I, I guess I could give like a, a 20 second synopsis of every character. Tyrannus, I already described. Uh, there is Bonnie. Um, Bonnie is played by Adam's brother, Dave. Um, he based it on his daughter, um, who, okay. so Bonnie, fun. Bonnie is a very sweet little girl, um, with possibly an eldritch horror, uh, hanging on to her, um, that emerges every once in a while. Very adorable though. If you stay on her good side, uh, there's Benjamin Grimshaw, who is your classic cowboy character uh, who recently was possibly bitten by a werewolf. We'll see how that goes. There is Belgrath, a little goblin who often hides in a suit of armor uh, in order to avoid... (laughs) Yeah, or a bush. Um, And uh, he's a collector of, of bones. You'll often see him looting the bodies of creatures we've fought. Um, in order to make more intricate suits of armor for himself. Uh, there's Thanthui, the, the turtle, who loves collecting cards and who, as we've seen, is going down a darker and darker path with each passing episode, uh, turning to necromancy as his latest uh, interest. And 
Who am I missing? Grasuan, the monk from the Xing Dynasty, uh, a very noble and um, kind of solitude, uh, solitudinous uh, character. Um, he's often seen as kind of the moral backbone of the party, um, and with him gone, everything is just running amok. And and I'm afraid that Lop. Ooh. Can I say the name of the character that you play? Absolutely. Oh, okay. This I, comes we're, out we're yeah. getting there, yeah. <laughs> oh, okay, sorry, sorry. Uh, yeah, the, unfortunately, uh, you didn't get to meet him, Griffin. But uh, I, I think there would have been some fun interactions there. You know, just o- overall, the theme, the, the, the main things going on in the continent, it's like there is the blood moon, which is this uh, mysterious celestial event that happens where the moon turns blood red once per year. And during the blood moon, uh, beasts and creatures of the night become feral and, and a- angry and consume the souls of, uh, of, of, of the living. Um, so that's happening. Uh, ahead of that, there's a bunch of political intrigue going on because there's 10 noble houses who are all feuding with each other. And then across from that is this ancient war that seems to be going on between the storm god, the Tempest, and the old one who lives at the and is chained to the bottom of, uh, of the ocean itself. And there's a lot of history there, a lot of dogmatism with the religion known as the Tempest Watch and uh, and a lot of danger on the horizon for the party. I'll tell you that much right now. Sounds like fun. Lo- love the colorful cast of characters. Um, v- very intriguing. Now, let's get to the reason everyone's here today. So we got to get you on this show, but in exchange, we had to lend out Griff for a little while. Um, and so... What's the deal with that? What's going on? What are we talking about here? Uh, yeah, Griffin came on the show. It was it was a real blast. We had a we I had a blast. We recorded, it was so much yeah, fun. Yeah, we recorded three sessions with them. By this time, I believe one of them would already be out. If you're listening to this late, all three are probably out by now. <laughs> um, but yeah, so he came on to play a character. I, I contacted uh, you guys, and you guys were were. You guys responded to us, I think, within just like a few hours saying, let's do it. And that was very intriguing to me right off the bat. I had, I had, uh, you guys had shown up in my feed. I listened to a few of your episodes. I really liked it. And I was like, I want to get these guys on my show. I one or two of them. Um, and, uh, you, you know, if I always have a choice between a player and a DM, because I think that Griffin at first said, you know, it could be me or Steve. I think he, he said it could be you, right? I always pick the DM because, I, I, I know how much you d- chose right. <laughs> I know how much DMs don't always get the chance to be players, and this is a real good opportunity. And I we we got right into it, and uh, we fleshed out a character. Uh, I, I think that we found a happy medium. I had this idea immediately. Again, I was it just came to me like an epiphany. Let's make a character that looks that that basically represents your show. Um, and that, that's how we do all of our guests. You know, we had Volanda on our show from the, the, the Lucky Die, and we worked together to make her character, and her character really encompassed the Lucky Die and what their show uh, uh, is and stands for. And I wanted to do the same thing with Griffin and, uh, and, and Lopsock, which is who he played as. Um, 
And Our listeners will immediately perk up if they haven't listened yet. Yeah, I mean, yes, for, I did play lobster. For me, on when the he show. said the name, I was, I, 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 I this was, I sure went, hmm, interesting. Okay. Well, I don't know what that is, but sure. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I was like, is he a lop sock? I mean, what's, what's, what's going on there? So, um, that was, uh, it was a lot of fun creating your character. And once we got the details down, then we speak with our lead illustrator, who is Nakara, who is phenomenal. You should check out her work. Just go to our page. You'll find a link to her stuff. Nakara is an amazing artist, and she has worked for us for so long. And uh, we worked with her. And I, I think the... the well, did you have fun with the process? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. It was a blast. I, I think uh, from basically square one the I, I was genuinely shocked at how quickly uh, she she basically drew exactly what I was thinking of yeah. <laughs> what, what, what is it that she drew what did it look like look at me I'm taking so, over your shock. show Ooh. yeah no yeah, no lop- no this is you now <laughs> yeah I, I could talk a little bit about lopstock because for the listeners he's not the lopstock that you know yet in at this point maybe an origin story yeah he isn't a he isn't a daemon he is a cursed runesmith and he is uh he we talk about how visually he could represent the show he basically his head is the hideous laughter skull uh so he has the you know busted side and he's got gems in his eyes uh i I played him as Lobstock the Lush, which also is a nod to our propensity for the uh, for the drink on the show, and uh, and he was really fun to play. He was a paladin hexblade warlock, which uh, you know you start looking at, at things you could play in D anD D, and you start to see the synergies there. Uh, so I, I had a lot of fun with him. He, he, I used the, the voice of the lopper actually for him. Cause I thought that would be a little bit more fun on the show. Uh, it's kind of for you guys. I know you haven't listened to, you know, everything we've put out, but the lopper is a character that is in one of our player characters head. He's a, he's a ghost. And so I used his voice for, Lopsock, just to kind of tie in the the undead characters between the two shows, uh, and I had a lot of fun with it. You, Adam, you let me really kind of run wild with the um, with the story implications <laughs> that yeah, uh, that, that Lopsock would bring, and I'm, I thank you for giving me like a at least a bit of a roadmap for what I potentially I, would I, reveal. I'd like there to be surprises too. If you notice, I didn't tell you everything. I just told you the right. important things for the introduction. And besides that, I want the guests to feel like a player. I want them to experience what the players experience. I don't want him to, he, he, he peeked behind the curtain, but he didn't see everything. He didn't see the whole show, yeah. um, which was, which was a lot of fun because I created a nemesis for you named the maestro. And the maestro was a um, an ultraloth who loved to play games, and he stole your runesmith hammer, and uh, and we had we we've had a lot of fun back and forth with that. I, I feel like just the way things culminate, without spoilers, because you know they haven't seen you. The way things uh, culminate at the end there is just it's 
it's so beautiful. It's so perfect. You can't <laughs> like you can't you can't make that stuff up. It has to be random rolls. Like, um, but I definitely made you a powerhouse. And you, you did. And yes. You had a sight. I, I appreciated that. You had a sight that maybe shouldn't have been given to the uh, evil little girl, but we'll see what happens in our show from now on. And and uh, I like this idea. I mean, I've always wanted it. I've always loved like when I was a since I was a kid, I've loved crossovers. So the fact that I get to make them, I mean, that's everything. That's everything. I'm all over the MCU. I'm all over like um, a- a- anything with crossovers. I remember when I was a kid. If anybody can find this, tell me, because I swear it happened, that there was a Family Matters and the show Reboot had a crossover. And I remember it distinctly as a kid, okay? And I remember watching that and going, that's the weirdest shit I've ever seen in my life. (laughs) (laughs) I, I believe it, man. Back in the day, all of those sitcoms were crossing over with each other in wild ways. Yeah. So, and uh, I, I can't help you with that, but <laughs> I don't doubt that it happened. If anybody can, you send me a message, go to at stubborn heroes and send us a tweet with a link because I swear it happened and I can't find it anywhere online. Family Matters and Reboot. That's right, the 3D Canadian TV show Reboot <laughs> with Bob and Enzo and Megabyte and Hexadecimal. That show, they crossed over, but crossovers always interested me. Because when you see somebody who's in one show and there's one reality and then that one, it creates so many ramifications. You're just like, wait, wait, if that if that happened in that show, then that that means that's canon with that and that's canon with that. And it just it feeds into my love of continuity and all that stuff. Well, so. it was, yeah, it was really funny when you were talking about like you were telling me, OK, here's kind of like the background of what's going to happen in the arc that you're going to be in. And I was like, well, what if we did this? Because that would work with the continuity of my show. And what if we did, you know, and then we were, (laughs) and then we kind of reached a point where realistically, by the time our listeners get to the end of the arc that I'm on, it'll kind of make sense where Lobsock is when you meet him in our story, which is really cool. And we were kind of able to do that because, because the ideas mesh so well and because we could kind of back and forth as two GMs and be like, Hey, this, like this works in my, my world. This works in your world. Because you know what? So time is, <laughs> time is completely relative. Who knows how much time may have passed between Lopsock and where he ends up at the end of this, if he survives and, <laughs> and, uh, and, and you know, the beginning of there, it's entirely like, I, I love giving the listener this sort of idea. Wait, what if it is the same? What- yeah. And, and the worlds that we play in, I think lend themselves inherently to do wild shit like this case in point, like in, in Pathfinder mythos, there's also the game Starfinder, which is like the sci-fi version of Pathfinder, but it takes place canonically way, way in the future. So, you know, space travel exists and you can go to different worlds and do all sorts of fun stuff. Long-winded way of saying, there is a class in Starfinder that's very sci-fi um, inspired that's called the Witch Warper that like tears between realities and pulls stuff in and, um, you know, if your weapon does fire damage, well, in an alternate reality, maybe it did cold, so I'm going to whack it and make it do cold and maybe you're fighting something that's weak to cold. Anyway, so they there's canonically other realities and in infinite amount of worlds out there they literally have a power called multiverse is just so much fun to play with that's a whole scape i just i absolutely love it 
You know? So, so that's what that's where we're living right now, where we can have a, a lopsock this this daemon creature who's wreaking all sorts of havoc in uh, in Abaddon, who has had a past in a literal D and D homebrew five E world, and I love it. It's fun. Yeah, it's so much fun, and and that's what I try to do with the uh, you know the other crossovers that were hap- that are happening in the future as well. I mean, uh, I, I I just I love this idea of almost like the guys just stumble upon this new character who has their own motivations, their own arc, and they help them resolve that, and then they learn something. Everybody has changed. Uh, it's the hero's journey, right? And by the end of it, they, they, they feel that they've learned something, and also that character is fundamentally changed as well. And who knows if that's the end of Lopsock's story on our show. Yeah, I, I gave him an item. You just give me a call. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you just get, literally, is like, you just give me a call. Good stuff, good stuff. Well... I know Griff had a whole lot of fun. I am so excited to be here in these crossover episodes. Where whereabouts um, can people find Griffin in the timeline here? I, is it like in the twenties of season two, episode twenty ish, or had, am I completely off base on that? No, it's episode twenty three. So, so on April eleventh, Steve, if you're that interested, mm-hmm. you will actually be able to hear the first episode, which will be already have happened huh so <laughs> it's yesterday it's yesterday, it's yesterday as of when this it's comes yesterday. out but yeah it's already out steve you can actually holy crap yeah, wow you can go to episode 23 <laughs> and listen to the first episode of uh Lopsock's journey or if you want to you could start at episode one of campaign two listen to the whole thing and then listen to Lopsock's first episode yeah i i'd probably suggest doing that because i mean you folks know how it is to listen to these like actual play TTRPGs. Like people, including myself, that listen to them, just binge through them. So Absolutely. twenty episodes. It, he, Griff's not coming in on like episode three hundred and whatever. Twenty episodes <laughs> is not bad to get through. The episode it's doable. I think you know just from being a part of a couple of sessions too. You're gonna want some of the pre-existing backstory with these characters to see how. Some, I mean, we even had some reveals in character with my character for their characters. So I think that'll pay off a lot more for you if you actually listen to the stuff ahead of time. That's what's so cool is, you know, things that Griff did, things that Griff said, things that Lopsox said and did, I guess, um, does have a lasting impact on these characters moving forward. You know, Um, I don't think they're going to forget him. I'll tell you that. And so, yeah, it's going to be three episodes. Uh, Episode 23 is the first one. It's called Cursed. Uh, And then it's going to be episode, which will come out yesterday. Uh, The second episode will come out on the 25th of April. And then finally, the conclusion of the arc uh, will occur on May 9th. Lots to look forward to. That is that is super exciting. Yeah, just go um, to stubbornheroes.com. You can find us on iTunes, Spotify, all those things. Start listening. Yes, absolutely. Wherever podcasts are sold, you can find them there. <laughs> and sometimes where they're free. Yeah, honestly, just just go where they're free. You can find them, no problem. I found them on Podcast Static. No big deal. Yeah, uh, I, t- I tour in all their episodes. So. 
Yeah, using a VPN, so they have no idea where I'm downloading from. <laughs> okay, so I think we're, we're we're about wrapping up here. We got a couple fun listener questions here um, from our from our Discord, so I want to run them by you quickly before we before we wrap up for the day. Um, first one comes from our good buddy Ten Lawn Gnomes. What's it like fighting a beholder? The the beholder is is such an iconic D and D monster. Have you ever fought one? Have you ever even looked at the stat block? Oh come on! I've stared at that stat block. I've dreamed of that stat block, and it stared and back. it stared oh. back with. Uh, uh, but here's the thing: uh, I, I I I can't talk about this because I may or may not have just made a beholder encounter. But Parker's here. <laughs> I didn't hear anything. <laughs> but yes. And He's vigorously taking notes over there. I can see him through the zoom. I've never fought one myself. But as a DM, I look forward to fighting as one. <laughs> All right. So, so, so follow-up question here. Our listeners at home know I'm a huge Heroes of Might and Magic 3 fan. The Beholder in that game is not terribly powerful. So when I started hearing that in D&D, the Beholder is like this amazingly powerful creature, I was I was a little surprised. Is it as powerful as people say it is? It certainly can be with the right rolls of the die. Um, I know I've been terrified of using it in my own campaign just because I'm afraid of a total party kill. Um... Yeah, they're they they pack a punch. They pack a punch. I mean, I'm such a five E noob that I don't even know this. Do you have like challenge ratings in your stat blocks? We do. Yeah. So what's the challenge rating of a beholder? Oh, that is a great. I'm looking question. it up right now. Yeah. We should ask Stanthwe about that. Yeah, he has a monster manual in character. So, which was one of my favorite things when we were playing, and it's like. This character literally has the monster manual. Like he's <laughs> yeah. the one that's looking it up. Just, just a quick sidebar there. It's because I made the monster manual canon written by Deckard Moonbreaker, one of the uh, one of the authors within my world. And uh, but it was split into uh, thirteen different volumes. So like A to D is in one volume, whatever, and it's all split up in that way. Um, so he's slowly been collecting them. So when he was again in in that thing where he was facing off against that thing i don't want to spoil anything um that was that was pretty funny that that's the sort of thing i was hoping would happen where he literally went oh shit we can't kill this guy we we we, <laughs> we, we should not try and everybody did and then he got confused and the chaos that ensues uh beholder holders yeah they are challenge rating 13 Okay. okay. Pretty up there. Respectful yeah, threat, yeah. Pretty pretty up there. Uh these guys are pretty powerful though. I find that my challenge ratings, if I'm gonna go off of a uh uh one of the monster manual monsters, I have to put the challenge rating right now you guys are what, level seven? So I have to do like a challenge rating ten or eleven, sometimes higher, just to be an t- actual challenge for them, just because they have so many amazing items that I've made for them and <laughs> they're, they're they're really good at their characters they all really are good at playing their characters and they're good at utilizing and not wasting any of their stuff can i just say something though i didn't know that pathfinder didn't have a beholder yeah it's actually wizards of the coast uh intellectual property there's no beholder in pathfinder wow 
I think there's a couple of other things. There's uh, there's mind flayers. We don't have those. Wizards, come on, share the wealth. Come on. <laughs> I'm kidding. Please I, I feel don't like, crush me like a bug. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like a beholder, though. Even though, even at challenge rating 13, probably has a couple of things that scale it like a dragon would. Right? Yeah. I think you can get like challenge rating 20 beholders with a couple of class levels and other things. Oh yeah, dangerous. Oh yeah, I, I I believe it. I don't want to fight one. Uh, luckily, <laughs> what, luckily I literally can't. So I'll get Bashlan in. Luckily, I legally can't fight a beholder. <laughs> Sorry, buddy. This is a viewer. This is a circular viewer. This guy, yeah. <laughs> circular, <laughs> large eyeball man. <laughs> it's a big golf ball boy. What's I'm trying? I'm honestly, I'm so I'm just sitting here trying to figure out what the opposite of behold is. That was gonna name, surprised. change I'm, the name to I'm that. Su- this is a withholder. It's a withholder. You'll never <laughs> yeah. see what he's got. I was I was gonna say I, I'm surprised there's no like you know like how Party City and like those cheap Halloween costume shops have like the rip-off. they'll have Captain America and it's like patriotic Superman. Yep, yep. But like there's a space <laughs> in between Super and Man and you're like okay I see what you're doing. Go here. space from Scream, but they call it like Wraith Face or something like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. I'm surprised we don't have one of them. <laughs> but. All right, next question here. Uh, this comes from uh, Trey Malare. How does Tasha fit literally everything into just one cauldron? I think she's just uh, really good at minimalism, you know? Yeah, she went oh. through military school, so she knows how to, like, roll up her sleeping bag in a really yeah. tight, you know, like, compact. It's like the density of a black hole. She believes in zero waste. Okay, so she she literally lives with one uh, wooden fork and one wooden bowl, and that's it. So she's yeah. There were there were a couple of Tasha jokes I wanted to make in episode one that I didn't get to make because <laughs> the shop's called Hideous Laughter. No affiliation, of course. Yeah, she's uh, she's just uh, she's a master at her craft, and let's be honest, she's the witch queen. She can just create pocket dimensions for every single item that she owns. Speaking of Tasha's cauldron of everything, though, what did you guys think of the actual book? Have you had a chance to look well, into it? Well, first of all, all? Park, and I'm sure Parker will agree with us, the artwork in these books is pretty much why he buys them. Yes. <laughs> 100%. Yeah, the, honestly, I could, I could just look at the artwork and be inspired uh to create a whole campaign just off of this artwork. Um, that one scene, one piece of artwork in that book just really is amazing. It's that uh, with the bear and the bird, and it's about the psychic um, aura. Yeah, psychic resonance. Or psychic resonance, and it's this artwork with a, with a bear and a bird, and they're obviously their eyes are glowing, they have runes all over them, they're communicating with one another. I just think that's an absolute beautiful piece of concept art yeah the the book as a whole is is one of my favorite uh source books like it's it's so packed with with different content the one we were just talking about was the uh magical environments uh so one environment that they give as like a as an example is uh, an area of psychic resonance where all of the creatures within a certain radius suddenly gain telepathic uh, abilities and effects so suddenly you're walking into a forest 
and all of the creatures in it have a human level intelligence and they can talk to you like what a cool concept as just I like love a, that yeah, that's just, so wild and that's only one of many uh they also have like haunted the infestation one uh it's it's such a great tool for 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 dms and i feel like it could also even if you're playing pathfinder you could probably pick up tasha's and get a lot from that because basically you're rolling to yourself you know and you're rolling okay what type of creatures are going to be and it gives you a lot of ideas on on sort of like the psychic resonance thing but also haunted what a haunted air what are the um characteristics of a haunted area what sort of creepy things can happen if a player you know gets too far into one space suddenly you hear whisperings coming from this end suddenly you know uh, uh five ghosts appear and you roll on those tables and you can really you can create an entire encounter or an entire quest just by rolling on those tables I fucking love a nice juicy table. Oh, it's so good. Tasha's is so good in that way. And the items, they're so godly powerful, but also just really inspirational. Uh, the Demonomicon that uh, I introduced during the Lopsock um, arc there, the one that Thanthwi is, is, is attempting to get for this witch who's going to teach him how to become a necromancer, I called it the, the Demonomicon of Vecna. Because I imagine in my world there's there's this rivalry between Igwilv or Tasha, as you might call her, and Vecna, the uh, lich, uh, one of the lich um, deities who are known in the lore. And I wouldn't even have thought to put that in if it wasn't for the Tasha's guy um, cauldron. I, it, it wouldn't be in there. I wouldn't have done it. I was just, I read the item. I was so inspired by it. Same with um, Bonnie's tattoo, Parker. I got that from uh, from Tasha's as well. It's just an amazing source book. Yeah. I don't know if, was that the question? Are we? I, I, yeah, I did. I did ask what you guys actually thought. Oh, okay, good. Of that I was like, book. wait, are we still trying to figure out how she <laughs> she fits everything into her cauldron? Is it is this how we ended up here? <laughs> hey, it's where we got, but we did it's address the like question. source books. Really, yeah, that's yeah. how she fits everything. She just gets a bigger cauldron. Yeah, makes sense to me. Well, we're gonna bring this home with probably the most crucial listener question ever delivered to us here. This comes from Blart Daddy. Oh, would you love rather the name. have an, love the name? Yep, very good. Uh, the people in our in our Discord that submit these questions keep changing their names to increasingly more and more ridiculous things. They keep up with the ante because they know we'll read the name. Yeah, exactly. All right, what do you what Which do you got? A great tactic. What do you got, Blart Daddy? All right, well, I, I think you're gonna like this. Would you rather have an army of kobolds mounted on a flock of flamingos or a cavalry unit of gnomes in kangaroo pouches? What? Do you need me to read that again? It's yes, a lot. I do. All right. Would you rather have an army of kobolds mounted on a flock of flamingos or a cavalry unit of gnomes in kangaroo pouches? He's asking, would I rather have them? He's not saying if I would rather fight them. Yeah, I think it's pretty ambiguous. I'm not sure, but I think it's, would you rather have them? Yeah, I think it's, which one would you want on your side? Huh. I'm uh, going gnomes in pouches. 100%. No, I, no hesitation. I have to agree. I'm also going with uh, gnomes and pouches. 
Oh boy. Yeah, I really, really like the visual, especially if the gnomes have like the pointy red hat. I think that's very cute, like a lawn gnome. Um, but my heart's with the kobolds. It's very hard for me to say no to anything with a kobold. And a kobold on a flamingo is just something that I'm I'm just interested in that in general. Yeah, yeah I think it's difficult because I want to go by strength of the mount which makes me definitely lean towards the side of the kangaroos because have you seen the pictures of jacked kangaroos? They could tear a flamingo in half seven ways to Sunday. A kangaroo can fucking kill you with one kick. Right. right. It is ridiculous, the muscle mass on a kangaroo. And if you're from Australia right now, you're probably laughing at us, but whatever. (laughs) They're just like deer. Uh, But it, it also begs the question... What kind of racial abilities do the gnomes and kobolds have? Mm. Well, if we're going off, when I think of a kobold, yeah, you know, I and I'm obviously Pathfinder biased, but I'm thinking kobolds eventually get a breath weapon. What did gnomes get? Like dancing lights and fey magic? Mm-hmm. Lame. I'm I'm going I'm going kobold. I think on this one because. I think kobolds inherently in Pathfinder 2nd Edition, at least, are stronger than gnomes. I've met some pretty powerful gnomes in my day, um, but I do like that they paired up the like two trickster races against each other, kobolds and gnomes, both known for their, their trickery and their inventiveness. Um, honestly, I, I'd be terrified by either one. But the, I feel like the trap yeah. war is going to escalate yeah, astronomically exactly. <laughs> between these two conflicting parties. Let's see them right. fight each other. Let's see them fight each other. I'd love to see that image. If you're an artist, do it. <laughs> yeah, or if you have like some sort of battle simulation software, I'm very interested in that as well. Try, <laughs> I'm very interested in this animated. Try please. out all the combinations, too. Try gnomes on flamingos and kobolds on kangaroos. You got the double K there. It's What we're really asking for is for them to resurrect that old Spike show, Deadliest Warrior, and bring it back with the most logical. I I, Deadliest Fantasy Cavalier. What a a wild show. It was wild. I could talk about that show for an hour. (laughs) Didn't they make it a video game? Oh, yeah. Of course they did. It got so preposterous. They just ran out of things to do, and eventually they had like zombies versus vampires and they brought on I think Max Brooks for zombies and then whoever wrote 30 Days at Night for Vampires and they both were just like making shit up to make their own side win it had nothing to do with being a deadly warrior at that point <laughs> um, but it was imagine what a wild show that with D&D some like fan monsters. fiction oh D&D monster oh, okay guys yeah. we got an idea here Great. hold on hold on it started here Deadliest warrior. Hold on. That's amazing. That should be a thing. <laughs> I think I think it would be really fun to pit things of equals equal challenge rating against each other and who's who of the of the I mean you could even do a you could do a bracket for uh, a certain challenge rating. Like you could you could say, okay, we're gonna do CR eight. Let's uh, you know. Let's start with our sixteen contestants and see who wins. All right. Well, clearly, Griff, we just have another Zone of Truth segment when I run out of shit to talk about. Yep. 
perfect. <laughs> like I would, I would, I would love if the two of us could run like one troglodyte versus like one gremlin. Just well, actually, I, I so I'll, I'll do this as a, as a plug for um, for Jason Bowman, the creator of. Uh, well, one of the creators of Pathfinder, he actually streamed a show where he created equal challenge rating encounters between teams, and he called it like um, I think it was called God, Mall. I, yeah, it was Mall, and so he would like one team would be four goblins with you know X weapons, and the other team would be like two ogre brothers, and they would you know he would run both sides <laughs> and see who won using his own mechanics. And it was interesting. I mean, it was cool because you could pick up the second edition mechanics. And he was doing this like months ago where not a lot of people were super well versed with the mechanics. So you could pick up on the mechanics, but it was also just such a ridiculous concept that he did like a whole bracket of it. I love that. It's amazing. And he like he had the battle map and he streamed it. So like you had you had both sides and he had one of his buddies help him commentate. It was really cool. It was really well done. All right, folks. Well, once again, I just have to say a huge thank you to the Stubborn Heroes for one, reaching out to us in the first place and, and crossing that bridge, but two, um, really bending over backwards to make Griffin feel at home with the custom art, working him into the campaign and doing all this super cool stuff. And finally, thank you for coming on this show and on a Tuesday night and listen to Griffin and I tip a couple back and be dumbasses. But it was so much fun chatting <laughs> with you guys tonight. Uh, uh, yeah, I'll tell you, Tuesday nights are not the best night for me but uh <laughs> it was also the only time in the foreseeable future that i had to do this so uh, i'm so happy that we did it though i think we had some good conversations and uh it was really nice uh nice meeting you steve i hope that this isn't the last time we speak maybe next time uh we do a crossover with your show we'll bring you on how about that Ooh, I don't know if you're ready for that because I, I could cook something up real fun. Uh-oh. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. Yeah, it was awesome. Yeah, I, w- I want to thank you guys again for having me because it was just an absolute blast to be on the show. And honestly, like, I mean, I'll echo what Steve just said, but I was the one that was actually there. Thank you so much for making me feel like a part of the world. It was I mean, it felt really seamless to me and it was really cool. Awesome. That that's that's awesome. Honestly, uh, really good to hear. That's what I hope to bring. I mean, just being kind, you know, and being friendly. And I don't. I think we need more of that in the world. And why can't Pathfinder and Dungeons and Dragons come together? Okay, we made the Romeo and Juliet story, except for the death at the end, a reality. Okay. And we didn't have a single edition war. No. During no, this what? whole conversation, we didn't have a single edition war. Why would war. we? You're, you're, you brought on the two people who will not conflict with you. On, on, <laughs> we on, did it. On that at all. We'll say, okay, cool. You can feel that way. I'm not going <laughs> to tell you one is better than the other. I think that that's, uh, that can become a very toxic conversation very quickly. And, uh, and I just... Um, yeah, no. I, 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 you have made me want to try pathfinder hmm. i appreciate that i've never it, it is a stepping stone to even get somebody to say that so i've never <laughs> i've never played it i've never tried it starfinder i'm super interested in oh uh, you should as, definitely as a, as a sci-fi yeah. 
way of doing things. And I have played with an idea of coming out with starborn heroes, which would be, uh, <laughs> but I mean, I'm not yeah, saying it's a, gr- a great name. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? <laughs> I'm not, yeah. Nobody steal it. <laughs> <laughs> Trademark. You know what? <laughs> you know what? Cut 20- this all out, Griffin. I don't want. To <laughs> <cut> the- <laughs> no, it's fine. No, you absolutely should give these systems a try. I want to play some D anD D one day. I know. I never thought I'd hear myself say it, but I do. Um, and yeah, we uh, we got to get something. We got to get something together. We got we got to play. Whether it's just a, a game over Zoom or whatever, we got to make it happen. So. Um, on that note, I do want to, you know, give you guys just a couple seconds at the end to throw out some final plugs. Where can people find you? The website name, the socials, that kind of stuff. It's going to be Parker. He's our social media manager. So I'm going to give it off to him. You can find us at stubbornheroes.com. That is the hub for all of our social media. You can find out all about the podcast about the different campaigns, about the crew. Uh, You can see some of our fan art. uh, And as well, you can find us at Stubborn Heroes on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. And you can find a link to our Discord as well on our website. And yeah, listen to us on any uh, streaming platform. Yeah, and our Discord's really cool because, uh, and I think I don't know if this is unique to us, but we actually have, and maybe I'm, I'm dropping like the most amazing thing right here at the end because I think it's pretty amazing. We have an ongoing role play that occurs in our Discord that is a hundred percent canon with the world, and when something oh, when cool. something happens what? in the world. It happens in the Discord roleplay. So the role players get to be part of it. And so if like a big event is happening where a monster is attacking a city, the main heroes are there fighting the main monsters. And while that's going on, uh, usually I'm in there and I'm running another campaign with just Discord people. And they're fighting like the they're they're sort of at the side of the battle, also helping to liberate the city. And uh, you know, if something happens in the Discord roleplay, it happens in the show. And if it happens in the show, it happens in the Discord roleplay. Again, comes back to this whole connecting continuities and stuff that I just I absolutely love. So, I'd also be remiss if I didn't mention our Patreon, which we've just rolled out a whole line of custom stubborn heroes merchandise oh yeah this uh, is on good multiple shit. tiers that you can check out uh, we're very excited about it t-shirts mugs posters stickers even a hoodie you get parker to compose a song for you, you. can Tell and them that and all- <laughs> <laughs> he needs more on his plate and even if you uh if, if you donate high enough being on the show for a one-shot which we've had already three $100 patrons come up this month who will be on the show in about three months' time. So it's, uh, yeah, it's we relaunched it. Parker and I and Nakara worked very hard for literally months working on this thing, getting it set up, and then we put it out there, and it was amazing. The response we had was beyond anything we could have imagined. It's very hard, especially with everything going on in the world today. I mean, I'm not going to ask anybody to give anything that they can't, but the fact that we have people out there who can't afford it, and they can't afford to give us a little bit of uh, something to help support the show, is I every every single dollar 
is entirely put back into the show we we don't we don't make money off of this you know we we just it goes back into the show increases the quality gets us new equipment um and pushes us forward so even a one dollar tier it's uh it goes a long way and helps inspire us so well that's very cool absolutely um be sure to check these folks out a great highly produced show maybe a little different from what you're used to listeners because it is 5e but it is excellent excellently composed and excellently put together and plus if you listen for long enough you're gonna hear griffin so that's worth the price of admission anyway um once again adam parker thank you so much for joining us i got good news for you you succeeded your will saves you made it out of the zone of truth thanks for coming on tonight and griffin is there anything you want to say before we wrap up Finish your drinks. We'll see you in two weeks. Later.